And now, from our studios in Kansas City, Sci-Fi For Me Radio is live from the bunker. Ladies and gentlemen, here we go. It is the midst of a busy broadcast week here. Welcome, everyone. We're glad you're with us. My name is Jason Hunt. I am the editor here at Sci-Fi For Me. We are live from the bunker, and I'm seeing some red and orange lights in the stream dashboard so if we end up uh buffering my apologies we're having some internet issues this morning uh but it will not keep us from our appointed rounds ladies and gentlemen so we're uh we're here and we're happy that you're here and here we go right we are broadcasting live to Odyssey, YouTube, and Facebook, and uh, the chats are open, the comments are open. If you're here with us live, if you're not with us live, if you're here Memorex style, you can still leave us a comment, send us an email, live from the bunker at sci fi for mecom And if you are inclined more toward podcasting, we have those as well, so... Uh, we are uh, we are on a number of different podcast platforms. We have an audience all around the world, so you can join us there as well. And uh, over on our .com, you can sign up for our newsletter and uh, join us on all the socials. Speaking of which, <clears throat> I am given to understand that now that the pre the premiere of Spider-Man No Way Home has come out. The reviews are coming out, and there are some spoilers that are out there, so if you want to remain spoiler-free, you should probably not be on the internet for the next month. <laughs> uh, and I, I understand that Sony even has spoiled themselves with some of their marketing stuff, so it's very hard to get away from that. Uh, speaking of spoilers... Mrs. Boss and I going to see the uh, Matrix Resurrections tomorrow, and we will keep ourselves spoiler-free, at least for a while. <clears throat> All right, so Christopher Hoffman will be here tomorrow guest hosting, so uh, we'll tell you a little bit more about that here shortly. So let's now get into our topic for today, joining us uh, on... The Ansible, S.G. Blaze, the author of a couple of different books. The Last Luminian is the first one. And uh, uh, let me turn this off because I haven't got there yet. All right. I know, we're getting there, we're getting there. Uh, the Last Luminian, which is uh, nominated for an award, I understand. And now the second book is out, uh, True Terran. So we're going to be talking about that this morning. Uh, hello. SG, how are you? Hi, Jason. I'm doing wonderful. Thank you for having me. How are you doing? I'm I'm doing well, all things considered. I mean, we have uh, we have been dealing with mice at the compound, <clears throat> and uh, 
I think we've been capturing the same two over and over again. <laughs> so, so hopefully we'll Maybe get that data. Maybe they time travel. You never uh, know. Well, it could be. I, I think uh, I think I saw something the other day. Our, our Mrs. Bosch ran across the, the information that they can remember up to two or three miles away from where they are. So I'm like, okay, we got to take them out further this time. <laughs> so, uh, anyway, all right. So... Um, Batman fan, Lord of the Rings fan, Gilmore Girls fan. How did you get started writing? Because you've got you've got two books now, so you're a relatively youngish author in author years. So, uh, so how did you get started in this? Well, I started with a very first horror story that I wrote at age ten. And it was a nightmare that I put down on paper and then uh, I read it to my class the next day. And I guess it was, uh, you know, the jokes were funny enough because there was some applause. So that got me the idea of maybe I should be a writer, maybe I should pursue this. But uh, the biggest inspiration uh, was my dad smuggling in uh, Hollywood movies uh, when I was uh, very young and under the Soviet oppression, we were largely forbidden to watch these movies. So that's how I started. I saw Star Wars, Lord of, well, not the Lord of the Rings, but Star Wars, Back to the Future, and Bruce Lee movies, and you name it, uh, my dad had it. And it was huge inspiration. There is a sequence, I believe it's in WandaVision, looking at Wanda and Pietro's childhood and her father doing the same kind of thing. They had a lot of, you know, the old VHS tapes of, of a lot of different shows. I Love Lucy being one of them. Mm-hmm. And growing up in Hungary, you you were under that thumb for, for a while. How did you get out? I mean, I, I don't want to get too distracted from talking about the book, but it does inform how you approach things, I would expect, yes? Absolutely. Well, uh, we have, in Hungary, we say that we our history is a thousand years of victory in defeat. We never won a single revolution or rebellion, but we always outlasted the oppressors. And that was the case in the Soviet oppression, which actually the correct word is Soviet repression. Mm. I don't know if you know the difference between the two. Well, and and that makes a certain amount of sense because because not to get too deep in the weeds on on the politics side of things, but it it seems to me, it strikes me, that if you have these oppressive regimes, uh, a lot of times you do get a society that sort of kind of takes a couple of two or three steps backwards in their, in their progress, in their development. And it's almost, it's almost a conscious thing. It's almost like it's on purpose, even though it's not, it's, it's, this is a natural byproduct of the, the boot on the, on the, the neck. You don't get to accomplish very much. You you don't have that success and that and that progress that uh, that you might otherwise have. And when those governments fail, like you say, the the whoever is left is the survivor. And I guess that says something about uh, about you know going the long haul, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And you said it right. Our culture took a backseat. There was no freedom of speech. There was no freedom of art. 
and and just the the fact that you know they allow some movies to premiere in Hungary, but if you missed it, you would not be able to see it until after they left. Yeah. And I think that was what really upset my dad because we were very young when Star Wars came to Hungary, and he said, "I want my children to see these," you know, uh, and and there was no other way for him to show it to us but smuggling it in, and he didn't sell it, you know, for profit. He just basically translated it to Hungarian, used his own voice to dub these movies, and then oh, we fine. would be able to watch it every Sunday uh, evening. And it was very secret. It was a big secret. We were not allowed to talk about this in school. Mm. We had to be careful who we say, what we say, because this was highly illegal. Yeah. I uh, we had a story here not too long ago about um, <clears throat> go, uh, in North Korea. Uh, you're running into the same thing because uh, Squid Game, the new the the TV series there, which is produced in South Korea, uh, yeah. apparently is making its way across the border. And we had a story here not too long ago. Some high school kids, the one who actually bought the smuggled material is going to serve life in, in prison. And the, yeah. and the guy who smuggled it in was sentenced to death under yeah. under this, this North Korean law. And I think, yeah, I, it is, I it can't is even imagine living in a society like that. I mean, we're getting there here, but it's not that bad yet. <laughs> <laughs> no. And see, that is the juxtaposition. You really hit the nail on the head. That is this juxtaposition of you know, have some form of safety at home. But the second you leave that home, you're just not safe anymore, you know. And and our version was the black car would arrive and it would take you away and you may or may not come home after that. And one of our famous author had that uh, experience when two in the morning, the black car came to his house and he thought, okay, I have to say goodbye to my family because this is it. I don't know what I did, but, you know, uh, this is not good. It turns out they wanted him to write a happy birthday poem to uh, one of the, uh, you know, Soviet uh, uh, politician. So he made it. I'm happy to report he made it. <laughs> that has to be just an unreal. But I mean, I guess when you grow up in that society, that's all you know and mm -hmm. until you get out of it. And then you realize, oh, that's what it was. So mm -hmm. how much of that figures into the stories that you craft because you're you're coming from a completely different worldview mm -hmm. different different point of view different perspective different experiences a lot of writers take you know that whole write what you know thing and a lot of writers will take their life experiences or their friends and people that they know and they'll they'll put that into these stories but this is a fantasy You've got a princess, you've got magic, you've got demigods and that kind of thing. So how, do, how does all of that work together for you? It, it works its way into world building. And this is what gives me the layers in this world building that, uh, you know, showing society that's either on the, uh, the verge of becoming a dictatorship or they're already a dictatorship, but they don't even know how deep they are. So I have uh, a chance to explore this in this fantasy stories and see how you know how the hero deals with this type of oppression in the first book the last lumenian she's powerless even though she's a princess she doesn't have a lot of power to to change anything in the uh, politics outside of becoming a rebel 
In the second book, she goes to another world, the true Tarian. She goes to the Tarian homeworld, and she sees another form of oppression. Well, even though um, you know people are are freer, they also have a very different approach how they handle everyday life. It's an honor-based society, right? So right. they have different approach than what she's used to. So she has to find her footing and figure out things for herself. How much, when you talk about the world building, um, you you have the the life experiences and whatnot, but then you also have things like the Lord of the Rings, different influences and that sort of thing. When you start to research for the world building on this stuff, how much is there? How much is there coming out of encyclopedias and research online and how much of it is is based on your own your own life experiences that's a great question jason because this is such an amalgam of of everything some of them is is not even uh, i'm not even doing it on purpose it sneaks its way in and i notice after the book is written that oh i did this i didn't even realize it's in the book and i spend weeks, if not months, uh, looking at the world building. And I go systematically, you know, I look at the daily life, I look at the economy, I look at society, I look at the history of society. So this is where my life experiences find a foothold, right? When I look at the history of a society or or the current situation, the you know, how they develop, what they're doing. That's when all of these little inspirations find their way in uh, into the story and it's always uh creating conflict and trouble for my hero now you have as your lead character uh, a princess princess lilla Mm -hmm. and in this day and age we have a lot of conversations especially online people have people have thoughts about the strong female character right and and for every uh, Ray in Star Wars. We have people that sit there and say, "Well, yeah, but we had Ripley and we had uh, we had Sarah Connor and and that sort of thing." Are you pulling? Uh, are you designing uh, your heroine in any particular fashion? Do you, or what what are her characteristics? And are you worried about any kind of a Mary Sue comparison? Have you have you made efforts to avoid that? Absolutely. I'm definitely trying not to create a Mary Sue. So what you're going to first notice about my main hero, Lila, is that she is by no means perfect. She is struggling with claustrophobia-induced panic attacks and having anxiety. And she has latent magical abilities that she didn't even know about. And she also doesn't like magic. So she is not perfect. She doesn't want to be the hero. So we have the reluctant hero in her. And we also have someone who steps up and, and hopefully can be inspiration to all the female readers and others too, who, who want to, to find inspiration in following your dreams and finding your true path and understanding that you don't have to be perfect to be a hero. So when your first book gets nominated for awards, I, I would imagine that that probably feels a little bit like some vindication that you've done this right as far as uh, the types of characters you've designed the kind of story that you've told. It, it, a lot of authors, 
no matter how many books they've written, no matter how many articles they've done, interviews they've done, a lot of this stuff, there are a lot of authors who keep talking about imposter syndrome, even 30 years out. Uh, are you experiencing any of that? Or has that, has that yet to set in? Or are you still kind of, oh, wow, my book got an award. I'm, uh, oh, okay. Yeah, how, how does that kind of thing... It's a, it's a, a you, you know, you're definitely right about the imposter syndrome because the first book took six years to write. And so when I was getting ready to publish the second book, I felt the expectation, so to speak, that this has to be better than the first, right? Yeah. So it was a very interesting feeling to do it. The first time it's a lot of excitement, a lot of uh, nervousness, but also the excitement, <laughs> you know, to have your book out there is, is suppressing the nervous side of it. But when you have your first book out, and I'm happy to tell you, it just won the 21st award in the Independent Author Network Book of the Year competition. And so when you get that and you have your second book coming out, I was definitely hoping that the readers will enjoy and be as, as invested in this book as they were in the first one. Now, when things like that happen, uh, is this, uh, are, are, is, the, is the publicity people, uh, are they submitting this for various awards or this stuff is spontaneous? It just comes and say, oh, hey, by the way, we're going to give you an award. How, how does that kind of thing work? Because I, <laughs> the, the Hugo Award process, for example, you have to be you know, have to be nominated and there have to be so many votes on the ballot and, and to get into that final nomination ballot is is are these awards just coming to you out of the blue? How much of a surprise are they? I wish I could say that they're coming out of the blue, but I do enter the competition. I usually do it myself. I'm an indie published author, so I do all these works uh, usually by myself. And um, uh, we just hired a marketing company for the second book. So it's we're learning the ropes as we speak. Right. And uh, we, I think I entered probably 25 to 30 competitions. So uh, when, when the results come in, it's definitely a surprise. <laughs> Talk about, you know, the imposter syndrome. I expected to maybe get one. <laughs> so every finalist, every winner, every honorable mention is a huge surprise and just a, an amazing uh, feeling, you know. I would imagine that 21 awards and the imposter syndrome might be a little attenuated some, just a little bit. Maybe you're doing something right. So starting off on this, you know, we mentioned Lord of the Rings, we mentioned Star Wars, and you have you have the the princess as the hero and and of course automatically my mind goes to Wonder Woman, um Buttercup you know, the various, you know, Princess Leia. How do you differentiate your characters and your world from everybody else? I mean, are you worried about comparisons? You just, you know, let the book stand on its own merits. But how mm -hmm. do you avoid feeling like uh, somebody else's book? Mm -hmm. the, the best thing I can try to do is to create twists and try to flip things that readers already seen. So when we have the 
the princess buttercup right she started out as a a farmer or a, a peasant and then she becomes a princess so we're not doing this she's already born lila is already born as a princess but she's powerless while we have princess leia who is is having some power on her own and leading the rebellion right so when you meet lila she is part of the rebellion but she's not having a lot of influence in there either she doesn't fit in in her court she doesn't fit in with the re, re, you know rebellion so you see a little bit of twist of the similarities that is different she's also having mental health issues which is something that i don't see a lot in fantasy so i thought you know for her to have internal and and external struggles are very important because that is her way to to stand out. Yeah, it it seems to me, and and there are uh, quite a few more conversations online about mental health. And I know Mr. Harvey and I here in, internally have had discussions about the portrayal of mental health, and and he's frequently frustrated when you get into those TV shows and movies that try to do some shorthand and they don't quite get the mental health aspects correct. They, they might have good intentions, but, you know, schizophrenia is one thing, you know, disassociative personality disorder is completely different. You know, all of these different, you know, psychologies, uh, you know, the, the different conditions are much different. They're not interchangeable. And that's something that he's frequently frustrated about. When you're including that kind of thing, or how much research is going into the mental health aspects of these characters? And then on top of that, you've got to layer in, we're on a completely different planet in, a, in, a, in an alien society. And then you got to factor that in. Absolutely. Uh, I do a lot of research, uh, especially when it comes to mental health. And I also have insider information, you know, uh, that I know for firsthand, uh, you know, thanks to this information, uh, one of my family members, uh, actually two family members struggle with uh, claustrophobia. And so I get a lot of, uh, uh, you know, uh, check on what I write. Is this, is this true? Is this how, how it feels? Right. So I try to be as close to reality as possible and also show it that there is a way to deal with this. You know, it's very important to showcase mental health issues in a normalized way. So not enough to have the research, but how I portrayed that was also very important for me. You mentioned normalizing things. There's, um, there's a, 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 back and forth in various different places about normalizing behavior. Some people are concerned about it. Some people are champions of it, depending on what behavior it is they're trying to normalize. Uh, and as part of that, sometimes you get into that message fiction versus tell an entertaining story. So you've got this, you've got this character, she's got mental health issues, you want to make sure that you get that right, but you also are trying to tell an entertaining story. So, how do you strike that balance? Was that a was that too much? Was that a lot of a challenge? To it was to a do little that? bit. Yeah. It was definitely a little bit of a challenge, and my goal was to never to preach. So to 
the the best way was to find the balance by by showing as opposed to telling and so that gave me uh, an opportunity to showcase this without overwhelm the reader and i always wanted to find that that balance so that it's still entertaining this is still intriguing because that is the whole point of this book <laughs> do you have well let me let me let me let me back up and try that again what kind of goals do you set for yourself for each book? You say, okay, I'm going to write this book, and when I get done with it, we're going to be at this point. And I imagine, you know, with this now being a series, you've probably got an end in mind somewhere down the road, or is this open-ended? You're just going to tell as many stories as you can tell. What's the plan? Well, I have two plans. The first one is for this series, and I do know where the series is going. And mm -hmm. every book is expanding on this series goal, which is to defeat the Arch God. But it's going to have a lot of twists and a lot of obstacles along the way. And my second goal is to explore this, this uh, universe that Lila is in. We have the seven galaxies, so we can go forward in time. We can go backward in time. We can go by place. We can go by planet. We can go by galaxies. So there is really the sky the limit for how many stories we will explore and in, in what kind of format, because book is just one format. We're hoping to do comic books and and you know tv shows maybe movies whatever it is there are so much content here that um this is gonna be very interesting to explore in fact if the uh, listeners or viewers would like to check out the website to get a hint of what's coming we have maps and character illustrations on sgblaze.com and we're actually going to add brand new new maps for the second book and they're all interactive uh, Sci-Fi Snob in the chat saying, book writing goals make millions of dollars. <laughs> <laughs> so let me, let me ask this then, um, because there are, uh, there are those people who have, uh, rightly or wrongly, accurately or not, uh, criticized a lot of the comics industry, the mainstream comics industry, for example. You're not telling a comic book story, you're writing the Netflix pitch. And I'm hearing you, you know, open up the possibility of, of comic books and TV shows and whatnot. Is that part of the plan or is that ancillary? And if it happens, it happens. Because some, some authors are writing their story to get on Netflix. And that seems to me to be kind of a misguided goal it's, you know, you should be writing the story to write the story and, and entertain the reader. And whatever happens after that is, is gravy. But we see so many books that are getting TV and movie deals before they're even published. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a very good point. I'm definitely not focusing on something that hasn't happened yet. I want this series, the book series, to be the best it can be right so for me that is the main focus and then if other stories or or this gets turned into something else i'm very happy but my job is to write the best book i can and write the best entertaining stories i can and nothing else is is uh, important but yes i do keep uh, the the future possibilities open but i'm focusing on telling the best story i can all right. Well, at that point, we will take a real quick break. We will continue on the other side of this with more conversation 
with SG Blaze right after this. Stand by. This is Sci-Fi For Me Radio. Hi everyone, Jason Hunt here inviting you to join us every Saturday for news, science fiction, fantasy, and horror headlines from the week, plus interviews, updates on events going on around the world, and the weather forecast for the same. It's all wrapped up in one neat package for your weekend. We call it Good Morning Multiverse. Every Saturday morning at 11 a.m. Eastern, 10 Central, right here on Sci-Fi For Me TV. Back live from the bunker, Jason Hunt here, along with our guest, S.G. Blaze, the author of the Last Lumenian series. The second book is out now. It's called True Terran. And S.G., let me let me ask you this here for a second, because this is something that I noticed when I when I first got the book. The uh, the artwork on the cover. My first thought was uh, that photograph that Gina Carano posted on Instagram in this same pose. And I thought, okay, so you're independent publisher. You're, you're doing all of this yourself. What kind of process goes into figuring out the cover art and deciding what you're going to put on there? Because, you know, never judge a book by a, co- by a cover, it's, they say, but... The cover is what pulls people in to, you know, oh, this looks this looks interesting. I'm going to pick this thing up on the shelf and and look into it. What's the process for the cover design? I'm very happy to to tell you that I'm working with a fantastic and talented uh, designer who that's his day job. (laughs) He's designing covers and he reads the synopsis. And then we have a conversation about what we would like to showcase on the cover and I love that he always takes the most important elements of each story and puts it on the cover so when you look at the cover and you haven't read the story you you look and say this is interesting right Mm -hmm. but when you read the book and then you look at the cover again and you know oh I understand now I see why there is space right why there is a castle the island and the ocean these are all high elements in the first book and in the second book we have the red planet which is the Tretarian and then we have a green village underneath and and of course the space is a constant uh, element so we try to create a story in the cover that matches the book and pulls the readers in and in fact the first book won three awards just for the cover oh wow that's well and and the the challenge for indie publishing is always that, you know, all of those elements, besides just writing the story, you know, you've got the marketing of it, you've got the design and the concept art and all of this, and the creative part of it. Mm-hmm. For some people who are writing their own book and they're going to publish it themselves, that's a challenge because I, I've seen a number of them that are just, here's some stock photography and we'll throw a, throw a title up on it and call it solved. Uh, but you're right. There is there is a, a, a very important part of the the creative process to to get that audience in by what they first see, and 
I think a number of indie creators don't realize that or they don't they haven't internalized it yet. They don't they don't completely understand it. But we are seeing a lot more in the way of indie creators going out on their own and doing their own thing. This the stigma as as it were, uh, you know, for a lot of times, oh, you're an indie you're an indie author. That means nobody else could take it. Uh, now you have, you know, you've got a number of comic book creators that are going, you know, using Indiegogo and Kickstarter. We've got Webtoon out there. We've got Substack. We've got Zest World. There's a number of different places. Patreon. People are, are posting things to their own, their own sphere and controlling their own intellectual properties. Now we want to own, I want to own my stories. I want to own my characters. I want to be able to utilize them or exploit them or do whatever I can with them. And it doesn't belong to somebody else, whether it's a big name publisher or, you know, Marvel or DC or whatnot. Did how much of that factored in when you decided you're going to self publish this? Were there other options on the table for you? At that point, I strictly explored uh, indie publishing. And the very reason was, as you said, uh, I wanted the artistic freedom and artistic control over how the book looks like. When is it published? So, yes, uh, starting out could feel a little bit overwhelming when you don't have your team around you and you're, you're interviewing and you're looking for, say, an editor or cover designer. But I'm, uh, I'm happy to tell you that on my Instagram, SGBlaze Official, anyone who needs uh, resources, I have posts where I list uh, cover designers. I list uh, illustrators, map illustrator, Clifton Chandler, wonderful illustrator, uh, the cover designer, dissect design, amazing covers. So now you have the resources more available to you because other authors done this, you know, or there are, um, uh, you know, uh, IBPA who has, uh, you know, all the resources in one place. So you can go to their website, look up what you need. So it's getting easier to find the freelancers and build your team as it was, say, 10 years ago. Now, I, I looked through your Instagram earlier and I see a lot of posts about the book, a lot of a lot of posts, of, you know, the awards and the different marketing aspects of things, you know, where it's available. Occasionally, I'll see, you know, something like this Thanksgiving post. And, uh, you know, every now and again, there's something highlighting another author, um, some Gilmore Girls stuff, the dogs. I don't see a whole lot of personal credos, manifestos, uh, you know, are, are you avoiding all of that on the social media for some reason there? <laughs> <laughs> would you believe if i say i'm shy <laughs> oh is that what it is okay i don't know uh to me it's it's a very interesting feeling to be on social media because i opened my instagram account uh i think 2020 august so i'm kind of new <laughs> to this uh, uh platform and um, I don't know, maybe it's the way I was raised to always be polite, always be humble. So if I start putting up uh, personal credos and, and all kinds of pictures, I, I would go against how I was raised, right? Right. 
you know, uh, there is that side of it. And I always try to think what would, what would, uh, you know, my followers would like to see a picture of me or maybe something that's funny. So I try to try to post those and try to be entertaining and, and brighten their day a little bit. And as you said, I'm very big on, on, uh, well, I try to be uh, paying it forward and helping other authors who are in the same position, maybe in a different part of their journey, but it is so important to create a writing community and help others because that is, that is the best thing we can do to another indie author. Uh, now you mentioned, you know, what would your father want to see on your social media posts? How has your family responded to your career as an author? Because again, you're, you're two books in and I imagine you've probably published some, some shorter stories and some different things in the interim, but you now have two novels under your belt. This is a serious thing now. You're a real writer now. How does your family feel about all of this? Do they, do they, are they some of your beta readers or are they just looking at you sideways like, okay, that's your thing, you know, pat you on the head and put you at the kid's table at, at Christmas, right? Right. Well, I, I would love to think that my dad uh, enjoys what I, I uh, put, you know, put forward, but he passed away when I was 13. Um, and uh, he, I can thank him, my love of reading and, and my sense of humor and also the way he broadened my horizon with fantasy and sci-fi movies before anyone even really got into that genre. My mom, she is my biggest fan. She doesn't speak English, so she keeps asking me, when is the book translated? And now we have two books, so uh, it's it's hilarious. And then I have my husband and my son who are the, the author readers. They read everything I ever wrote. Uh, in fact, they're reading it as it comes fresh out of the oven. So they get to read it before the editor does. And I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. <laughs> but uh, I love brainstorming with, with my husband. Uh, uh, I love my son feedback mom we need more action so <laughs> sure bigger guns to, yeah yeah one more thing if you don't mind me i'm sorry to cut in no you're fine uh, i wanted to write these books so that that uh my son could also read it and enjoy it because he thinks reading is a punishment <laughs> you know funny you should mention that <clears throat> I got a 19-year-old. He's going to be 20 next month. And re reading is probably one of the most onerous burdens that you could ever g give him. Um, it's it, Part of it is personality. Part of it is some different experiences at school kind of right. soured on, on it. And, you know, it's you know, my whole family... Is a family of readers. My 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 dad was constantly reading a book. My mother reads you know, a lot of biographies and and that sort of thing. My sister, my sister kind of soured on it because she had to do so much of it for for uh, uh, postgraduate schoolwork. And uh, but everybody else in the family reads uh, quite a bit. And for him to sit there and go, yeah, I just don't like it. I'm like, okay eventually maybe hopefully you'll come around someday he does ever occasionally find those stories like uh like the percy jackson stories for example you know rick riordan and i think that he responds a little bit better to the fantasy stories as opposed to the hard sci-fi are you sticking with fantasy is, is your son uh yes this is the perfect mix mom or you know you talk about he needs more action are you thinking about maybe something with a little bit more hardcore 
science fiction explosions and and action for for a for another book sometime i i have to say that i'm mixing the sci-fi and fantasy because magic and and technology is so important in all the stories and my son he does not like uh the sci-fi fantasy genre. And I also add a sprinkle of romance to it, which makes it even worse to him because (laughs) he's like, I don't want to read a kissing book, mom, come on. (laughs) But uh, I do listen to his feedback. I try to add action as much as possible. I try to make my books to be page turners and very cinematic as much as possible so that he won't be able to put it down. And maybe the third book I'll achieve that. I did see him put down the second and the first book. So we're getting there. He did read both of them. I did get a lot of feedback, but um, maybe the third book he won't be able to put it down. <laughs> well, and and the other thing, um, you know, one, of the, one of the things that I've thought about with, with James, and I, you know, Sci-Fi Snob in there uh, being... being Tongue planted firmly in cheek. Yes, it's it's just reading my work that's a burden. Yes, it it actually <laughs> it a- absolutely is. But the idea of collaborating, mm-hmm. because one of the things that uh, that James is interested in is is filmmaking and doing you know telling his stories and writing. He he's got an interest in writing. He doesn't really necessarily want to read that much. And and so every now and again, I'll suggest, well, maybe we go in together on doing something and you can learn a few things about how, you know, the process and that sort of thing. It, would that be something that, you know, you could you could use to ensnare and entrap your son into the process and and get him a little bit more interested in it? Oh, believe me, Jason, I'm trying every form of that question and trying to get him involved. And, you know, you can name a character. Uh, So far, I'm getting lukewarm reaction. (laughs) So maybe I have to try harder. I'm I'm not going to give up. If I learned anything from my childhood is perseverance. (laughs) Very important. We never give up. But uh, uh, joke aside, I I think he enjoys these stories, uh, honestly and genuinely. He's not he's not faking it, which I really appreciate he you know with him if he doesn't like something and so as long as he can enjoy these stories i'm doing something right because i would like the audience to be as broad and diverse as possible you know well and the other thing too is you you get into legacies at some point i mean when ann mccaffrey passed away there you know she leaves behind all of this work and her son and and her daughter georgia have have picked up the Pern stories, and you think, well, maybe, maybe this is something that somebody can pick up and keep going with it when I'm done with it. You know, I retire or I can't do it anymore. Uh, you look at, you know, the Wheel of Time kind of thing. You know, Brandon Sanderson comes in and, and finishes. Uh, you know, Brian Herbert and Kevin J. Anderson continuing on the Dune series. So, so you have those legacy authors now who are continuing the stories. And, you know, you mentioned, I mentioned collaboration. Have you thought about, it might be a little bit too early in, in the process to consider this, but have you thought about opening up the last Luminian universe to other authors? At any I point? definitely, definitely thought about that uh, idea, Jason, because 
there is a lot of content here. If you would see my notes, they spend hundreds of pages. <laughs> and I usually put uh, the world building in a dynamic way that, that you know, helps uh, the readers to get uh, a better understanding. But I'm not going to overwhelm them with right. every detail because... I'm also telling an active action type of story. So you don't stop an action scene to, to describe the door, right? <laughs> You're going to say, there is the door. They came through the door. Yeah. But I do have a lot of world building that I hope to, you know, showcase maybe in a companion book where I have more time, more leisure time to expand on the layers and the, the elements that you only get this much in the book, right? Yeah. Um, but it would be nice to definitely expand uh, and collaborate with, with others and see how far we can get the, the less Lumenian and the Seven Galaxies stories. So Lumenian is derived how? Where, where does that word come from? I used, I love the English language. It's not my first language, as you can tell by my accent. So when I looked at creating words, um, I looked at, you know, Scottish names, for example, for characters or Latin for world building. And I wanted to either find meaning that, that reflects what I'm trying to say or play with the word and create a new word that follows the English language. So, you know, we have Hungarian, right? We have Romanian, we, we have Austrian. So I looked at the word loom, which means light, and I tried to create the new word based on those uh, principles and patterns, something that's pronounceable, and that's how I came to Lumanian. Now, are you creating... I have not had a chance to read the book. I do have I do have my copy. I haven't had a chance to get into it. But are you creating languages as well as doing world building? Are you, are you taking a page from Tolkien and coming up with something all completely new with context and, and syntax and, and grammatical structure and such? I have to stop before I create the <laughs> language because that is a rabbit hole. I cannot go down. <laughs> That's, it would be fantastic to explore to that depth, but uh, I want to also keep progressing the series. <laughs> so my language, what you see in the second book, I try to mix humor and and wordplay so you see a word that has one meaning in our, our reality and then i twist it a little bit and i add a different meaning but still has a little bit of wordplay with it so i had a ton of fun doing the world building in the second book like uh for example uh the vacuum cleaner they call it the kazoom the kazoom bug because it's like a little bug and it zooms around and so i just took a little bit of inspiration from real life mixed it in with world building and voila you had a different word and different meaning now do you keep track of your world building on a spreadsheet or is it a bunch of longhand notes and and you know it's oh, so it's it's spreadsheet oh, oh no spreadsheet it's actually uh um i use a program uh that is uh, have all my f folders, my my images in one place. So I have all my characters, all my world building on the side. Each book has its separate notes. So I can always go back and read it because you want to be consistent sure. and you want to create a world building that builds on each other, right? So uh, especially with the second book, I'm writing the third book right now. So I had to look a lot of what did I say in the second book and how can I build on that and expand on that? And this program is, is like my little... A treasure box with a million little you know drawers that I can open and find what I need 
You know, that actually might come in handy for me around here. I keep I keep losing emails. Uh, what what program is that? It's called the Scrivener, and I'm a huge fan, and <laughs> I always recommend it to any writers. Very, very user-friendly, and it keeps everything in one. I think one of my, my files is like a million gigabyte or something, oh, because wow. every time I hit save, <laughs> it takes like half an hour to save now. But it has everything I need, and, and I can find very, you know, my previous version. Some books have multiple versions. The first book had six versions that I started from blank page and brought 500 pages. And then I built on that. I recycle things. I change things. So it's very important to keep track of my versions, my characters. How do they progress mm -hmm. from book to book and, and you know, also in, in the story? How much have you had to kill your darlings? How, mu how much, you know, your first draft, your early drafts, oh, this is a really great piece. And then as you get through multiple rewrites, now suddenly this doesn't fit. You've got to kill it. How, how often has that had happened to you? It, it happened once in book one. Uh, a very favorite character had to die, unfortunately. And I'm not going to tell you who. You have to read the book to find out. And you're going to laugh, Jason, but everything I cut, I save in a Word document, even if it's half a sentence, because you never know when you need that half sentence. Right. So <laughs> that helps me to save and, and, and create, you know, a better version of the story because I save everything. Now, do you uh, have pieces that you're that you're looking and say, oh, I can rework this into book three now or? Very much so. Yeah. And I do a combination of my cut document and I also write down everything that pops in my head on my phone. And then I, those little jokes or snippets make their way into the book. My second book is basically three years worth of uh, jokes and, and snippets that I collected that were perfect for the, the true Tarian story. And I have to tell you, I had a blast writing that book. <laughs> Now, this this conjures up an image for me <laughs> where perhaps you're out somewhere with your family and suddenly you have to write something down. Mm -hmm. Or at 2 o'clock in the morning you wake up and you suddenly have to write something down. I would imagine that your family has learned to be very patient with you on that. <laughs> Yes. Yeah. yeah. Well, I have to ask you, are you a mind reader? Because those are exactly what's happening to me. Often I'm, I'm at the gym and, and, you know, training and I'm like, hold your thought. I need to write this down. <laughs> I said something funny and I write it down or I'm having a conversation with friends and I'm like, wait, I need to write this down. And the 2 a.m. and the 3 a.m. and the 4 a.m. wake up when I just have to write just one thing down and it turns into be a three hour writing marathon and I lose sleep on that. <laughs> I have to shut my brain down. Or otherwise, I would never get asleep. Right. Now, are, are you uh, incorporating the tuckerization process do you have friends and family who who show up as characters in your book i'm sure they think they do <laughs> <laughs> hey wait a minute uh, yeah <laughs> but it's a very interesting question because um each character first of all originates from the author themselves right, right. but yeah. it's also all your experiences all your friends all your family and you you 
inadvertently use elements and personalities that stand out to you or or matches that character and um it's it's a, an interesting process because oftentimes it's not on purpose so when someone reads the book and and they say oh my gosh that's how you are in real life it's it's surprising to me because i don't even notice it it's it's very automatic very uh, natural and and I, i'd like to think organic there are various pro uh, projects a lot of them are, are are indie comics where if they're crowdfunded they'll have a tier or they'll have some some way that if, if you pay at this level we'll include you in the book or we'll include you in the story somehow you become a character in the thing and I know there are a few uh, a few titles over on Webtoon that do it. You know, you've got some Indiegogo and Kickstarter projects that do that. Have you, when you think about a Last Luminian graphic novel, for example, are you planning to go the crowdfunded route, or are you looking? Is it too soon to tell, or are you, are you thinking maybe a particular publisher you might want to approach? What What are your thoughts on that yet? It's definitely a little bit too soon, and we're open to uh, many uh, options. But what we're trying to do right now, we're actually going to start a cosplay competition for the main hero Lila, and and uh, hopefully you'll uh, you know you'll see more on that on my Instagram soon. <laughs> and um, we're trying to do uh, giveaways and and involve the readers more and more often. Uh, I'm planning to do. Uh, maybe character naming or, or you know, um, something else that the readers can feel involved and invested in this story. Yeah. That sounds like an interesting process uh, that could that could very well backfire on you, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 there's a, what was that thing? The boat, uh, Bodie McBoatface or something. I mean, some some weird, wild nonsense name, but everybody voted for it, and so that's the name of this thing now. You could you could end up shooting yourself in the foot there. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, we'll probably have some you know bullet points or or three options. So <laughs> sure. Within reason. Within reason. Yes. Yeah. Yes. We're gonna give you a box to play in here. Uh, so, uh, speaking of boxes, you, you want to get out and do other types and you mix science fiction and fantasy here, very much like Star Wars does, for example. Uh, have you got other genres in mind for other stories? You, you know, the military science fiction, the hard science fiction, you know, high fantasy, horror, you know, what, what other kind of stories are you wanting to tell? Uh, all of it, hopefully, in my lifetime. I do have a, a steampunk story I wrote for a NaNoWriMo a couple of years ago that I hope to develop. But come to this Last Lumanian series, I noticed that certain books uh, take on uh, other genres. I usually mix three to four genres in one book. So the first one was very much sci-fi fantasy with a little bit of romance. The second one, uh, the true Tarion, was sci-fi fantasy with action and adventure. And the third one is going to be a different one. It's going to be sci-fi fantasy and probably thriller elements. And so each book has, uh, you know, different genres that involves that helps to tell the story in a, in a more interesting way. All right. All right. So you're working on the third book now. What other irons do you have in the fire at this point? 
uh, at this point, it's mostly the Laslomanian series and, and creating the Transmedia Foundation, which you have to start now before you have the comic books. You have other elements. We also just released a new website. We're very happy. Um, and um, getting into the origin stories of characters, starting to develop that aspect of the series. Um, so we're trying to do a lot at the same time. And, and I don't know if you have anyone who knows cloning. I, I need help. <laughs> <laughs> I frequently run into that same problem. Uh, yeah, it's it's one of those where I, uh, I, I've lost track of how many times I've looked at my wife and said, you know, I need 12 of me. Or just 12 hands. Or just 12 One hands, of my yeah. character has six hands, so maybe I should ask him to start pitching in and pull his weight. Because seriously, <laughs> he's not doing anything in the store. I'm just kidding. <laughs> All right. Well, the series, The Last Luminian, and uh, the website, sgblaze.com. The new book, True Tarrant, is out now. It just came out here a couple of weeks ago, and so there is that. We do have our copy here. It's on the review pile, so we will get to that as quickly as we can. Uh, you can also find SG on Instagram, sgblazeofficial, and uh, sgblazeauthor over on Twitter, and The Last Luminian has a page over on Facebook. You can find all of the details over there. And uh, I, I expect whenever the cosplay contest starts, you'll post that to all of those different places, yes? Absolutely. Stay tuned. <laughs> all right. SG Blaze, good luck with everything. Thanks very much for being here. And when that third book hits, we'll, we'll definitely have you back and we'll, uh, we'll talk more. Fantastic. Thank you so much for having me, Jason. Right. This was a blast. Thanks for being here. Okay, then thank you, all of you, for being here as well. And a reminder that uh, we just dropped our last episode of the year for the H2O podcast. Our holiday sampler is live now. You can go check that out. And tomorrow here on the program, Christopher Hoffman will be our substitute guest host. Uh, while Mrs. Boss and I go see The Matrix Resurrections, uh, Christopher is going to be talking about ghost stories at Christmas, the holiday horrors, and uh, some benefits uh, to that. It's, uh, it's, a, it's an interesting look at the horror side of the holiday. So uh, we do invite you for that. And uh, don't forget, we speak about socials. Uh, a lot of times I speak in the negative about socials, but we have them as well as various different video platforms. You can find us. You can sign up for our newsletter. If you have a book or a movie or something you'd like for us to review, we've got a mailing address. You can send that to us. And uh, we will unbox live on the air, and we'll uh, we'll add that to the list. So all of those ways that you can get in touch with us. And if you're new to the channel, we do invite you to subscribe, have your notifications turned on, find us over on Odyssey as well as here on YouTube and, and Facebook. And we'll do this all again, uh, bright and bushy-tailed, bright-eyed and bushy-tailed tomorrow uh, with Christopher and then on Thursday, uh, very excited about this. A. Martinez will be our guest. We'll be talking about his uh, acting career. He was recently in Cowboy Bebop, so we'll imagine be talking about that too. So uh, join us for that. In the meantime, feel free to, to explore about the various different videos that we've got here, and uh, you're always welcome to share. Remember a couple of things here. I will leave you with this thought. It is... How, how should I say this? Um, some, some days. How did, I, how did I write that over on Facebook? 
I posted something on Facebook. There are days when it's nice to not have the car on fire at the gas station. I'll put it that way. Remember, folks, there are four lights. Talk to you later. Thanks for being here. This has been a presentation of Sci-Fi For Me Radio. Copyright 2021 by Flaming Dog Media, LLC. All rights reserved. No portion of this program may be retransmitted without the express written consent of Flaming Dog Media.